Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. You've made a podcast out of another podcast. <laughs> That's kind of funny, right? Oh, God. I'm just happy we're talking about this movie now. So, uh, so we recorded this episode. Back uh, to back with Joker. Right. Uh, yeah. If you're listening to this, it's been a week since our Joker episode came right. out. But we're it's been the same time. about seven minutes since our Joker episode <laughs> ended. And here's what's changed. All of us are breathing again. It's just nice. I'm sitting back in my this seat. This could be, um, you know, uh, unsettling or yes. difficult movie. But it's very much not that. Oh, Ben just switched the lights. Make a little movie. Your your first line when the movie ended was you went, Oh, Ang, he's so gentle. <laughs> he's such a softy. In a great way. Uh let's Where let's, he's like, if what if some like right, like imagine the Hollywood pitch is like a guy like talking to Jerry Bruckheimer, yeah. like, what if you're the crack assassin? Pow, you shoot people, pow, pow, they dead. Ha! And then you're getting Suddenly old. there's a guy. He's over your shoulder. You're getting weary, but right. You're Best shot you yeah. Who is this guy? He seems to know everything you know, right? He's chasing you. You turn around. It's you, a younger you. They cloned you. And now what you, you have to next? fight you. And Ang Lee comes in and he's like, and my pitch is, what if they became friends? <laughs> <laughs> what if the way to defeat him was friendship? What if a man haunted by his father his decides father? to become the father to the son who is him? What if this man defeats him with his greatest weakness, conscience? Uh, everyone hates this movie. Yeah. Um, fuck them. It's Good movie. Getting lambasted. <laughs> it's getting. Yeah, I don't know. How, how, yeah, what do you? What can we say? It's getting butter and fried. <laughs> getting folded like laundry. <laughs> it is. In the words of the great. Mike Mitchell. Oh, boy. It is getting folded like laundry. Yes. And uh, I think the three of us are going to be three of the only outliers kind of saying, this is kind of interesting. Right. Um, this, of course, is Blank Check. It's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have mass success early on in their careers give a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Right. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. I'm Griffin Neiman. I forgot to say that part. Um, I'm David Sims. And this is a thing we love. We love to see it, which is a director we've covered in the past comes out with a new talkie. We get to take a little stroll down memory lane, revisit one of the old miniseries. Right. And resume our ongoing dialogue about their this filmmaker and their career. Yeah. And so our old buddy Ang Lee, one of our very close personal friends. A filmmaker that I always liked. Mm-hmm. But then, like, we did the miniseries on him, and I really came to appreciate everything he's brought to his career. Yeah. All kind, you know, all this, you know, I really, really fell for Ang Lee when we did it. And here's the thing. We yeah. saw this movie yesterday. Right. We went to a press screening. Very graciously, you extended a plus one to me. Friend of the podcast, Ben Jordan Hoffman, extended a plus one to producer Ben, a.k.a. the Ben Deucer, a.k.a. the Poet Laureate, a.k.a. the Hodge, a.k.a. Really Mr. Nice Positive, Jordan. a.k.a. Right. Mr. Positive, and, uh, a.k.a. the I will Keeper, say again on Mike, a.k.a. the Tiebreaker, a.k.a. the Commish, a.k.a. the Booker, uh, a.k.a. the Fart Detective, Now, this was a press screening where we got it. You got to see Soaking as... Soaking Benny, White Hot Benny, Dirt it, Bike Benny. As the director intended. Ditch Benny. 
Correct. I mean, that may be. Yeah. Uh, we saw it, I think, essentially as he intended, right? Do you know anything more on this? I'll get to this in a second. Excuse okay. me. I just have to mention that he graduated to certain halls over oh, the course yeah. of me, such as Kylo Ben, producer Ben Kenobi, right. Ben Night Shyamalan, yep. Ben's 8, Say Benything, dot, 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 Ailey Ben's with dollar a dollar sign, sign yeah. War Haas, uh-huh. Perdue Bane, okay. Ben 19, The Fennel Maker. Wow. Uh, then I believe after that, lane. he would have moved on to... Uh, Robohaz. Yeah. Then I think you probably after that got Eat, something. Drink. Well, I think in between oh, you sure. got a Benglish and you got a Mr. Ben Credible. Then okay. of course it's you drink Ben Hosley, and that's yeah. underlined, italicized, mm-hmm. put in a bracket here because we're coming back to Angley. But of course we've moved on since then. Right. So then you have Beetle Vape Juice. Yeah. Uh, you have the Hosley Day. Yep. Uh, you have. Uh, uh, but that was the Hosla day. Right. Uh, did we ever come up with one for Michael Mann? I think we talked about this. We did, didn't we? Public Benemies. There we go. Oh, Great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Book closed. Right, 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 right. We essentially saw this exactly as the filmmaker intended. Okay. I believe there is one format arguably superior to what we saw last night, which is 4K. 4K, right? We saw it, I believe, in 2K. Is right. that accurate? Right. Yeah. That is the only difference. 4K, laser projection, 3D plus, 120 frames per second, is only screening in China. That's so crazy. It is not screening it's anywhere within the like, continent what, of North like, America. Is there a theater in Taiwan, maybe? Right. I believe there are five. There's a few theaters in China. I think there are right. five theaters in Asia. Yeah. That are screening the film in 4K, IMAX laser projection, 3D, 120. Right. Otherwise, we essentially saw as he intended. Yeah. The only difference was resolution. Um, This film is going to get a a wider release in closer approximations of what Ang Lee intended. Than Billy Lynn. In that, I believe most people will be able to, with little hassle, see this film at least in 60 frames per second 3D. Right. It's fairly wide in that presentation. Right. And in the 120 Dolby Vision. It's about one per major city. Yeah, maybe a couple tops. It's right. it's, it's always, I feel like it's only in those AMCs that have the Dolby Vision theaters pretty much. I, I think there might be a couple outside, but that's the main right. bulk of them. That's the uh-huh. best list to consult. I know people on the Reddit have tried to put together. There's an ongoing thread with the master list. Uh, if you're looking to see this movie, I would consult that because uh, I could not even imagine what it would be like to watch this film not in the format. We were just talking about this. Yeah. Kind of intrigued to do that. I will go do it, and I will later pitch to you an idea based around that for Talking the Walk 29. Yeah, maybe that's the move. I mean, JD's been blowing us up as well with uh, his, like, John Wick rampage she wants to go on about critics lambasting high frame rate. Yeah. Anyway. Can I tell you what my pitch is here so we can flow with this? Sure. And maybe people get excited about it? Sure. Tell me your pitch. I pitched Talking the Walk 2019 is us walking to three different screenings of Gemini Man in three different formats in one day with our buddy J.D. Amada. No, I'm not. No. Three. Wait, we have to see the movie three times? Correct. Griffin, what the fuck? I don't want to do that. Well, it's a good thing I just floated on mic and now people are going to tell you to do it. Griffin, we're very overworked on this podcast. We have too much to do. I'm very aware. That would eat up an entire day. I'm very aware. How about this? But one could argue it's the sequel to the biggest podcasting event of 2018. No. And I am worried about letting people down. And I've been burning the midnight oil trying to come relax. up with something that feels epic enough. Griffin, 
You need to relax. No one's can't ever told we me just that do can't we just do the episode, but this time we'll walk around in Prospect Park? <laughs> Can we just make it easier? Like that is hard enough for me. I, but I'll do that. No, no, no. I'm not seeing no, three. I'm, I'm gonna be oh, very clear. Okay. There's no way I'm seeing that film three times. But would you walk around and do another episode? Uh yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever. Right, so you have two versions that you can vote on. My version is we kind of just do that same episode again, but we'll revisit some bits, but we'll be walking around. Okay, right. I want to offer a qualifier onto each pitch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh wait, you want to add on to it? Okay. I'm gonna take a pass on each pitch. He's adding on, folks. <laughs> Taking a pass on each pitch. Pass one, pitch one. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having pass to one pitch one. Pass one, pitch one. God. Instead of having to go physically see Gemini Man. Yeah, because I already saw it in the frame, frame rate anyway. They won 20. I'm born. I'm interested in seeing it in 24. You're going to Skype I'm not at all yeah. interested in seeing it in 60. You're going to bring a laptop and put it on the seat next to you? Exactly. Here's my pitch. We pirate <laughs> Gemini Man. We pirate. <laughs> no, here's uh, jokes and Document aside. the crime. <laughs> Please. Jokes aside, deadly serious, retired bit, no chaos. Um, pitch one, pass one. We watch Billy Lynn three times in three different formats from the comfort of a home. <laughs> Why does it have to be three? Because it's one standard, one 3D, one high frame rate. That's how the fucking combo pack is structured. Okay, so that's fine. So let me move on okay, to okay. pitch two pass one. Can <laughs> <laughs> we do it simultaneously? Can we watch all three versions at once? If we set up three screens? Yeah, that'd be cool. That I'm fine with because it's time that I'm worried about. But technologically, we need three TVs or something. Worried about time over here. Unite the TVs. So, suddenly I'm hosting a podcast with Christopher Nolan. Well, maybe you are. <laughs> Having existential dread around time. Um, uh, here's a uh, uh, pitch to pass one. Mm-hmm. We just take a walk, and it's very fun. It's us. We're the four friends. I uh, would just strenuously argue. Except it's a 12-hour walk because no, it's a 12-hour no, day crossover, no, and Connor Ratliff no, joins no, us. No, it's, Considering how strenuously we are behind on our Patreon, the last thing I want to do is eat up another whole day. Uh, uh, we are very behind and very stressed out. We're doing all right. We're fine. Yeah. Uh, well, right now, vote on that. we're here to talk about. Or give us your own pitches. Oh, okay. Yeah. Talking the Walk 2019 will happen in some capacity in November. Mm. This episode's coming out in October. Sure, right. Please give us ideas. Uh, yeah, uh, email the show, blankcheckpodcast at gmail.com. I'll tell you what our idea was supposed to be, and it was foiled by the release of Gemini Man. Mm. Our idea was we thought enough theaters would get converted yeah. with the full technology that we would be able to do a screening of Billy Lynn yeah. because so many people failed to see it as intended. And these guys really worked on trying to make that happen. We were we yeah. were emailing for months. Yeah. We were trying to organize a screen that we would have hosted and maybe would have tried. At, this, at the same to, time, work I was it talking some to Paramount and yeah. I was like, sort of like, let me know, like, yeah. whenever you have an idea of you know how widespread the one twenty mm-hmm. is going to be, because I think we all had this concept of like, right, Will Smith, it's an action. Movie. They'll have to spread the one twenty, right? And I think it's just too big an ask for theaters. They topped and, it out at sixty in most places, and so instead, because the sixty, I think you only need one. Yeah. Right. It's like you need this sort of it's like a double laser system. thing. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is just crazy. Right. Um, and so, so that was our big swing. That's what we've been planning on doing for the last year. And also had been circling around maybe being able to talk to Ang Lee in some capacity. And you which know, didn't work for a number of scheduling things. things. It might almost happen, happen one day. Uh, talking to walk to. 2020. 
perfect vision. 2020, we're going to be able to pull off all these things. Uh, writing checks that are asses can't cash. But, but the point is, we were very optimistic that we'd be able to make one of those two things work, if not both of them. And now we're uh, uh, opening up to fan suggestions of what Talking the Walk 2019 should be. Right. But here's the point. As you were saying. Right. There is this weird thing where I feel like we get biased because when I have friends who try to get me into sports, mm. they go like, but Griffin, you love stories. You love narrative. Sure, sure. And the sports whole thing is yeah, the right. game is whatever. It's about that you're following people for an entire season. Right. And you're tracking them and you're watching the growth and they're moving from team to team, the history of the team, the management, all this. It's all the narratives you carry to the game so that every point, every move, every whatever has larger story meaning, right? Yeah. And I now feel that way about any director we cover where I get so much more emotionally invested in any movie they make, in any career move they make. Whether or not I like it, yep. whether or not it's what I want them to be doing. I feel that way. I too. feel like I'm like, this is my hometown team. Ang Lee's the Yankees. I'm fucking here for it. I sure. relate to it in with bands even. Right. Where it's like I've been going and listening to like later Bob Dylan albums, the artists I love and like all yeah. this 80s stuff. And it's just like I I love seeing the different fluxes totally. and ups and downs right. of all these careers. Sure. So we spend months at a time being completist about someone and their work. Yeah. Which you start to really think about their life, you yeah. know, because we're doing Which it all. Which I love. And because we're doing it all. Of course. Yeah. We're starting to get into their head a little bit and try to figure out their moves and recognize the themes and all those things. So we're, we're bringing a lot to the table. And we like this movie a lot more than most people. Right. And I suspect that's a lot of it. Right. But I also suspect a big part of it is you and I did both see Billy Lynn in high frame rate. Yes. Most people did not. Most critics even did not get to see it in high frame rate. I suppose not. No, sure, I feel sure, like right. it was not widely screened. It right, was right, the right. New York Film Festival screen, which you went to, right? Um, that's right. That's right. And then was I, high frame rate. That was high frame rate. And then I saw it at the saw it again. Yes, like a month later or whatever at the Sony Picture Room in right. twenty four. But I feel like a lot of the press screenings were not. Yeah, and uh, I also saw the Hobbit in high frame rate. Uh, Forty eight. Um, I saw. Hobbits 2 and 3, I think, in the 48. Because the press screenings were in 48. Really? Yeah. Because those 2 were definitely s- was. 2 and 3 were barely released in high frame. 3, right? I can't remember. Yeah. 3, they might have finally spared us. Mm-hmm. 2, 100% was in the high frame rate. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think you watch this movie differently if you have seen a Hobbit, a Lynn, and then a Gemini Man. <laughs> I think that's true. Because you're watching the advancement of a medium. Yes. And while I question the long-term viability of this, for the first time watching Gemini Man, I go, he's done about 60% of the problem solving purely from a technical level. Sure. And I see larger samples of what one could do with this format and why it is potentially valuable to certain filmmakers. Now, here's one take I have. Yeah. James Cameron Mm -hmm. is making the avatars. Yeah. Now I don't know that this is official, but he definitely always talked about wanting to shoot them in a high frame rate. Yeah, I believe Maybe not one twenty, but a high frame. Four hundred and eighty. Right. <laughs> no, yes. He keeps on sort of threatening a high one frame rate. One billion. Keeps on threatening high frame rate. And because so much of the film is motion capture, I think he has a lot more flexibility exactly. in terms of making those decisions in post. And it's interesting to think of the narrative of this when mm-hmm. you go from the Hobbit universal derision. Billy right. Lynn largely derided, but also this sort of curio anyway, because yeah. who the fuck saw that? Sure. This mostly derision, but as you know, some people I will be sort of like, well, 
They're starting to fix some of the bugs here. Matt Patches, Emma Stefanski, friends of the show. Good people. Great Good people. people. Good people. Good people. Imagine Avatar 2 comes out. It's basically an animated film anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's in the frame rate. Can you imagine a world when then Feige is like, Marvel movies will now be in high frame rate. Yeah. And then things start to sort of like progress. I'm not saying that's going to happen because I do feel like there's this built-in hostility yeah. that may just be impossible to overcome. Here, but it feels like 1% possible in a way it hadn't before. This is a scenario that I think is incredibly likely, yes. okay? Right. Zemeckis, for years, oh boy. would not put down his <laughs> fucking mocap toys, right? Sure, and sure, people were like, sure. Bob, we don't like these movies. They look weird. Stop it. Pick up a camera. Right? And he finally was like, fuck it. I'm taking a flight. Right? right? I'm getting yes. allied. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm welcoming you to Marwin. Uh, we're going to Marwin. <laughs> right. But Marwin He's is- He's uh, officially confirmed as being lost in Marwin, right? <laughs> he is lost in Marwin. They've sent like drones in <laughs> yeah. and they won't return. Yeah. And we are now unwelcome to Marwin. <laughs> oh, no. No they one's welcome us. <laughs> City Limits has our faces on yeah. stapled to trees. Right. Um, but- Everyone was like, why is he fucking sticking to this? And he would always say this thing of like, you don't understand. I have an obligation, the power position I am in to do all this field testing, to workshop these tools for a future generation of filmmakers. I'm taking all the hits. I'm making all the mistakes. So future filmmakers have these tools. And people were like, go fly a kite. What the fuck? This is creepy. It'll never work. Right. And now – Every fucking movie uses motion capture. Right. I know Zemeckis wasn't the first, right. but he does deserve a lot of credit for getting a lot of the kinks out of the system by so stubbornly making fucking five movies in a row right. with this weird, creepy technology, right? <laughs> and Ang Lee did an amazing, amazing fucking interview with The Guardian. That's an incredible piece that everyone should read. And it, I, just like him, it's, it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. It's very emotional. Sort of vulnerable. I believe the headline is, I know I'm going to get beaten up, but I can't stop. I need to do this. It would be funny if it was like, he's like just tortured, right? Where right. he's like, I can't, the, the frame rate demons, like they're in my brain. But he in it, A, essentially directly says, Hulk was my blank check. It was the one movie where they literally gave me anything I wanted to do. I yeah. had no oversight. They thought if you can do Crashing Tiger, maybe you can do anything. Right. And anything I asked for, any amount of money I got. And I felt like I betrayed the audience because I just thought about making an Ang Lee film and I didn't think about the contract. You sign with an audience when you are making an event film, when you are promising them popcorn. Right. And so for Life of Pi, he very consciously went into it saying, I need to make something that pleases audiences. Right. And it did. People liked the 3D. It made a tremendous amount of money and he won his second Oscar. Right. And now he has gone into the weird Zemeckis field of, no, I'm 100% in on this technology thing, mm-hmm. and I'm going to fucking solve this. Right. And in the Guardian article, he keeps on saying that same thing Zemeckis used to say, which is, I need to figure this out for future filmmakers. Right. right I'm right, right, old. Right. I hope I get to keep making movies for another decade or two. Right. But it's more about me using my clout at this position to figure this shit out so that other people have it because I really believe there's something here that is important to add to the toolbox of cinema. Mm-hmm. Not that all movies should be this way. Right. I think it's very similar to his approach to 3D. I think he feels a lot of regret about the fact that 3D was so misused so widely that it was sort of killed. Mm-hmm. And that he takes 3D very seriously. In the Guardian article, he keeps on going into conversations about Z-axis in a very J.D. Amato way and then right. saying to the journalist, like, I'm sorry, you don't 
care about any. This is of not them. something you have spent months. Right, but then he keeps about. on positioning mugs on tables, and he's very scientific about the way the human eyes work and how we perceive images, and that's his whole thing with high frame rate. There is a little bit of a sense of loss that we have this filmmaker right. who is sort of one of the most elegant, primal storytellers, mm-hmm. who is a great actor's director, right. who is great with text, right. getting a little bit lost in the weeds with this technology. Yeah. But yeah, there's sure. something kind of thrilling and very classically blank checky about this narrative. And there is nothing more classically blank checky than the narrative of James Cameron when everyone assumes he's about to fail, doing the thing that everyone tells him is the worst possible idea and making it work wildly. So there is that 1% chance that James Cameron's like, here we go. It's 320 frames per second. Everyone sees it and they go, Jesus Christ, it works. James Cameron's a genius. And every Marvel movie gets a limited release in high frame rate. And it becomes something like that. It it becomes the new 3D or whatever. The new new upcharge. Yeah, exactly. A a way you can see a movie. Right. Because the thing I kept thinking about Gemini Man is much like with 3D, a lot of the best uses of 3D on a technical level after the 3D boom were weird things like Finn Vendor's Peanut and Jackass 3D. Right. You know, and the Scorsese Rolling Stones documentary. Right. And watching this last night, I was like, I would love to see someone make a fucking concert movie in high frame rate 3D. Right. Because a lot of the places where this gets. Has it, no one done anything like that? I don't believe so. I mean, sports are often. Obviously. Right? Yes. Yeah, and that was the, the big threat always right. with 3D TVs was when you get to 3D sports, it's going to blow people's minds. And the technology never worked well enough to get there. But that's well. ESPN beyond was that, broadcasting 3D for like a month. I know, like but beyond month. that, that was such a stupid concept because sports are very communal. Sure. And like, it's just not something where everyone's like, no, let's all sit down, put on our glasses, and not no. move. Like sports are very much like everyone's around and getting up and getting down. You know. But like, there was always the threat of like they're working on the technology, and ten years from now there might be a TV where no one's wearing glasses and eight different people can yes. be sitting on a couch. That's and the all, thing that Cameron's right. also threatening with the avatars, right? right? I'm going to figure out glassesless 3D, but I, essentially holograms, which is very vaporwave, right? Totally. Yeah. But, but I think the key to that is there being enough revenue oh. from traditional 3D that it funds the development right. to get to that point. Right. And when people stopped paying to see 3D movies in theaters and 3D TV sales totally crashed and I bought the last one ever. <laughs> legendary moment for you. It just like went out the window. Right. 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 Uh, but look, if anyone's going to do it, it's Cameron. And there's no question that he's going to throw something crazy out with Avatar. I would think so. He has to. Right. Well, maybe it's just, you know, can I ask, a sea bearer. Can I ask to someone who doesn't know a lot about stuff? Yeah. Uh, is there so you older... saw this with us, but you yeah. had not seen Billy Lynn. No. Yeah. But was there an older jump like this in film history? This is like the one thing that has weirdly stayed pretty fixed. Because you have, like, the jump from, like, silent to sound. You have the jump from black and white to color. JD you know? kind of talked about this on yeah. our... Billy Lynn episode that you should, guys should listen to if you haven't. Um, uh, best podcast of all time. Right, where like 24 to to, was kind of nervous. just a number that got arrived at, but then it was the number. 20, I mean, originally it used to be slightly different, yes. which is why when you watch old silent films, often right. they feel sped up or whatever because it was shot slightly differently. But 24 was based around a song that people would learn, the projectionist, when it was actually crank projection. So there was a rhythm they could memorize to keep the projection going out with their hands. (laughs) I mean, it's that arbitrary, right? Right, right. But it is this weird thing that contributes to the dream state of cinema. Yeah, it's the look that we recognize. Right. And I understand the immediate revulsion to what Ang Lee's doing here because he's essentially saying, let's remove all the dreamy aspects. 
Let's make it look like a window. Right. And when he talks about it, that's his whole selling point. Film well, doesn't look like real life. Wouldn't it be great if it looked like real right. life? If you could remove the window in a way, right? Like you can just, it just feels like if you put your hand right. through the screen, it, I mean, of course it's a land of giants because yes. there are close-ups, but Huge apart face. from that, yes. To which I by and large go, I like the dreaminess of cinema. Yeah. I like I the agree. way motion's captured. Right. And not to mention, the thing. for over a century, people have learned their crafts in the cinematic arts based around the perception of vision for 24 frames per second. Right. The way the costumes are made, the way that people learn to act, the way that lighting is is executed, the way that sets are painted, yes. all these things go out the window. We've gone over this. Billy Lynn just restating a little bit. It's really uh, worth listening to as an episode. Yes. One and of our better ones. never going to relive it. Uh, yeah. uh, talking to Mark 2019 is going to be a disaster. Well, right. like, I mean, obviously film is still a thing, but like film mm-hmm. to digital, like I feel like there was like, I kind of picked up on some of that kind of like noise. Right. Now the key is. But this sure. feels like a moment where people are super resistant. Yes. To because, the tech. Because the key is that most of the jump from film to digital was also accompanied with, we have figured out how to make video uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm sorry. Replicate the uh, image quality of 24 frames per second. Right, right. We train video yeah, right, 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 to right. sort of a fake 24 and frames it's, per it's second. It's a thing, you know, people bring up motion smoothing. And again, this is something JD talks about a little bit, like yeah. how this looks like motion smoothing on your TV, quote right. unquote. But motion smoothing is actually trying to look like this. Motion smoothing is like a computerized sort of cheat to sort of try and mimic it's, the look of a very high frame every rate. frame, and it's just multiplying it four times. And it's like the computer is sort of trying to get you there. Right. Yeah. The difference is, with this, it is actually that the camera itself is capturing four times as much visual information. Right. It's not pulling that shit out Five, of... Five no. uh, for 120. Yeah, that's so... Five times. Fucking insane. It's wild. Wild stuff. Now, we were outside the theater. I said to you, Ben, get ready, because the moment when it starts you're going to be totally thrown off by how weird it looks. Because uh, we both experienced, and I experienced it with JD, right. the feeling when Billy Lynn started and everyone in the theater goes, ugh. Everyone sort of went like, huh? It's the Ugh. opening shot when he rolls over <laughs> yes. in bed and grabs his cell phone. Everyone goes like, yes. Ugh. Yes. And this movie immediately doesn't have that. Even if you don't find it visually appealing, there was a noticeable lack of ugh in the theater, which I swear was audible at Billy Lynn's Yeah. Meeting. Yeah. I do not know a person who saw it in high frame rate and didn't experience that. And those are all people who are there because they really want to be there and totally. they're reacting. Because that way. movie made a fucking $4. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. You right. made a bold right. prediction before the movie. <laughs> he did. That you were not going <laughs> to be repeated to me. Yeah. freaked out by high frame rate because you thought it was going to make sense to you. That it was going to be how the world feels to you all the time. Because mm-hmm. I'm a person with ADD and mm-hmm. I just sort of felt like I'm like, oh yeah, so I'll just focus on everything all at the same time at once. Yeah, right. I do that constantly anyway. Right. And the idea is that's what's unnatural about high frame rate is it does more closely replicate the way your eye works. Right. Yeah. But that's not how you're trained to absorb any filmed material right. of any sort. And yeah. animation fakes it and video fakes it, you know? Uh, there's a reason why when people criticize uh, Billy Lynn, Gemini Man, or The Hobbit in High Frame, right? They sure. go, oh, it looks like a soap opera. Right. It looks right. like, yeah. you know, it looks like behind-the-scenes footage. It looks like home video. Mm-hmm. Because those are rare examples of things that never tried to replicate frame rate. Right. Because even most of classical TV was shot on film. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you watch, like, Playhouse 60s and they're shot on video and they're high frame rate, people are weirded out by them. Yeah. But most classic sitcoms were shot on film. And, uh, you know, soap operas, 
we're not. Uh, news broadcasts, we're not. Yeah. Behind the scenes footage of movies we know where things look more fake, we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports, we're not. And sports have been broadcast in higher frame rates for a while now. And the other big shift is video games often are in higher frame rates now. It's an optional setting, but most people have gaming computers are watching fucking crazy. Frame. I was getting some of the some of the it shots removes in boring. This that's the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. You want that's, the continuous act, and I believe that's the argument in Gemini Man. Is like, look, it, the action is as clean as possible. Like, right, right. You know, uh, but the blurring is a thing we're trained into now, for better or worse. It's a yeah. thing we're trained into, and when you remove the blurring, yeah. something yeah. in your head kind of goes, "That looks cheap." I mean, and they also have the problem that they try to get around, but that's unavoidable, is that if it's Stuntman is on screen in high yeah. frame rate, it's easier to spot him. Yes. What are you going to do about that? Well, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, especially in a movie that's so loaded with stunts. Here's what this movie does. Yeah. Uh, Will Smith plays the two main characters. <laughs> yes, he does. He is a very good physical actor who, much like Tom Cruise, likes to do a lot of stuff. Right. And uh, for most of the sequences in which... He is doing something that he could not physically do or right. safely do. Uh, he is doing motion capture for a digital stuntman. Right, right. So right, something right. like the big motorcycle chase in this film, which is the big set piece, right. is really Will Smith doing it on a green screen stage with a bunch of trackers. And they're filming his face and placing it onto a digital stunt person that is recorded off of his movement. But, you know, the body... Shape is a little different. Totally. You can kind of tell. That's and, all that. It's not a huge complaint. I don't really care. And here's the biggest tell that I noticed in that sequence, which otherwise is pretty compelling and is one of the moments where the movie makes an argument for, like, here's something unlike anything you've ever seen in a movie before. Right? Right, right. right, right uh, they make course. it seem like it's these long, continuous oneers running super high speed through the streets of where are they at that point? Uh, Columbia. The, yeah. uh, uh, let me find the exact city. There, Cartagena, right? Car- but it, Car- Cartagena. It almost feels like the motorcycle chase from Tintin. I love the motorcycle chase. Yeah, right. Where it's like here's this eight minute unbroken limited cuts, hundred percent, all about choreography, city streets. But you can kind of start to tell the city streets are CGI, and the people on them are CGI, mm-hmm. and the Will Smiths a CGI double. And here's one of the big reasons for that. Right. When you get in the CGI effects with uh, high frame rate, uh, you are now having to produce five times as much information. In a completely fictional generated model. Right. And a lot of how CG effects have come so far in the last 10 or 15 years is they've created computer programs that can uh, simulate certain things without them needing to do it frame by frame. Yeah. So – and Pixar uses this and special effects houses use this. If you have a digital character doing stunts in a movie – you no longer have to animate the ripples of their clothes moving through space frame by frame, which is really fucking labor intensive. Right, right. It can simulate, oh, if the body's doing this and you put a shirt on them and the shirt is this material that you pre-established, it will ripple in it's that like kind of It's an algorithm. It's an algorithm. It's an algorithm. They build them and these people trade them and they use them and it works for all these sorts of things. Sure. But now suddenly that algorithm is being tested to generate five times as many clothing ripples right. per second. Um, That's like some Doctor Strange shit, right? Right. So the tell where I immediately, Mm -hmm. David's doing the hands. Mm -hmm. um, The tell where I immediately was like, oh, this bicycle sequence is all CGI, Mm -hmm. is the way their jackets are moving look fucking bizarre. Hmm. It's just weird. It looks like Doctor Strange's cape or whatever. Well, it just looks super animated. Very helpful cape. It's very helpful. Might have helped out in some of these Gemini Man situations. A great movie, friend. (laughs) Very good movie, friend. But so shit like that is weird. 
And the problem is it's literally a matter of time and money and human resources yeah, right. to be able to animate that much clothing right, that fast. Right, 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 right. Fucking impossible. We're, we don't have the manpower. We don't have the computer power. No one has the budget, you know? Uh, stuff like that gets tripped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you kind of a fun movie. also have this kind of breathless fucking motorcycle sequence where even if you know it's I'm unreal, kind of into it. he's showing you something you've never seen in a movie before. Yeah. yeah. You know what jumped out for me? What? This movie. 3D. 3D. There's that, um, the moment with like the water, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, all the wet splashing 3D on the screen. Really, really great. Yeah. I'm trying to think it, of other it's like, uh, real 3D moments. It throws you off though with like the axis kind of when you're. Because it's like the camera's going into the water and sort of looking up I love and it. down. That stuff's great. I think yeah. water is always great for 3D movies. It's why and I wish water's also had been kind of interesting for 120. Like, yeah. just looks like you're not used to it looking. Well, there's like, so much. There's certain environments that really pop in the. There is so much movement in water where even when it yeah, is right, still, right, right, there right, is right, so right, much right. movement happening that a camera cannot capture. Right. In the same way, and this is the whole thing with actors with uh, iframe, right? Where we, I think, agreed. Most of the performances in Billy Lynn They're don't just, come off they very just well. Don't under, they don't know how to deal with the camera. right? And Ang Lee, in the Guardian piece, talks about Joe Alwyn sure. being someone who he pulled out of obscurity, who had no screen experience, yes. and he trained him for this format. Mm-hmm. And that performance works in that movie. And then you watch And he people, says, right, that I, unfortunately, I put all my effort on that. And right. Right. I couldn't work with all the other actors. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, yeah, work with all yeah. the background people. You see people in the distance, and you can tell they're having a fake conversation. Things that we called out in our episode, yeah, I really yeah, took yeah. full responsibility for. No connection there, but I'm just saying he is a man who lives with his mistakes. Right, right. Pretty right, hard. Right, right, right. And people like uh, Vin Diesel, or Grace movie star, and Steve Martin, <laughs> who have learned tricks. A solid movie star. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my second favorite movie star. Sure. Um, who have learned tricks over decades and how to work with a camera. Suddenly those tricks totally betrayed them. Right. And this is a movie where I feel like he really figured out how to get good performances out of all the actors. There are moments, there are small scenes where I'm like, this person's a little hammy. Yeah. It's a little over the top. But Will Smith is one of our great close-up actors. He is. That's true. That's true. And that's a big Fucking nice face, big, even now. Ooh, a beautiful face. I mean, there's a scene in this movie where he brags about how good he looks now. Yeah, and it's an earned uh, brag. If he ain't lying. Yeah, it's not a humble brag. It's not a brag. A, well, retired bit. Yeah, but uh, he, aside from being a very handsome man and a very compelling man to watch, a innately charismatic performer. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, he has become so good. I think somewhat to the detriment of his career, as he tried to move away from the jokey, wise ass. 90s persona that made him uh, America's favorite movie star. Of course he decided to move away from that and has gotten more into playing the sort of uh, haunted, tortured, Yeah, he's done a lot of haunt. He's done a lot of haunt. What else has he done recently apart from Suicide? I Am Legend, Suicide Squad, Collateral Beauty. a while ago at this point, but yes, Collateral Beauty, sure. But I'm Um, saying I Am Legend's kind of the beginning of the haunt. It is a bit bit of a haunted beginning. And one of his best performances. It's, I think. Maybe the best. What's the competition? Ali... Is a great performance. Yeah. Very different sort of vibe. What what else would be the competition? He is extraordinary. I mean, obviously, I one of the most haunted performances of all time. Right? The genie in Aladdin. Oh. Well, we were haunted by the exactly. genie. Most haunting performances. Um, yeah, but yeah, Bright, Bright, I haven't seen, I'm assuming, is a little haunted in that one. Yeah. Did like an elf, you know, yeah. kill his mom or something. Yeah, something like that. I and mean, Seven Pounds is definitely well, haunted. He's haunted. Do not touch the jellyfish. He's haunted because his partner kind of helped him or like he thinks his partner was involved with his shooting that happened sure. to him. And the, like an orc? It's an orc, yeah. Right. It's the first orc cop. 
and he's his partner, and he doesn't love it, but he's putting up with it. And I, I've seen this movie. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> oh, I'm aware. And I know it's not good. And yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Sorry, but you own the whole full line of Funko Pops because uh, right. Bright got eight Funko Pops, and the Tick got one. Wow. Uh, excuse me. Um, can I say something quickly about Will Smith? Yeah. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Anyway, uh, the thing I was going to say about Will Smith. Yeah. The thing that makes him such a powerful uh, uh, close-up actor, and I feel like this is a thing he's worked on. It's a thing that uh, McConaughey has also become very strong at. Yeah. I think it's a thing with guys who are uh, become big movie stars young and can feel sometimes like, am I just coasting on charisma? I want to get more meat. Right, right, right. Um, those two guys know how to just fucking fill up. They have to fill up their face with emotion. Right. And then hold all of it at bay. Because this is a movie where Will Smith is almost always seemingly on the verge of tears <laughs> and is always holding them back. Yeah, I, yeah. And yeah. it is one of the most compelling things to watch an actor do mm-hmm. is to see that much emotion behind their eyes and to watch the restraint of them trying to hold back that emotion from ending up on screen. Right. And it's a thing that makes you lean and pay more attention to performance because you're not feeling like, oh, this person is pulling out all the bells and whistles to get my attention. It makes you lean in and go, like, what are they holding back and why? Right. So I think that's one of the reasons he got so attracted to the haunted thing because it's an interesting experiment. And if you are as skilled, if you have the sort of emotional access that Will Smith does uh, and he's able to marry that with his, you know, fucking control of the camera and his stillness, which comes in very handy for a high frame rate film. Because to have a long close-up of Will Smith, tears slowly welling in his eyes but never quite hitting, where he is maintaining a perfect stillness without feeling stagnant, that is the greatest sort of tool Ang Lee could have at his disposal for this film. And to multiply him— I mean, he's an improvement on Joe Alwyn. No offense to Joe, who's fine in Billy Lynn. I think Joe Alwyn— But that's another movie that's obsessed with its star's face. And I also think it's a movie where he's trying to get that performance out of him. Most of the I know, film he's is always fucking him like, in close-up. Uh, right, sort right. of wobbly-eyed. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, but but that's Will Smith. He's got like a, a real five-tool player, you know, sort of uh, magician of an actor sure. to mix metaphors. Okay. Um, so that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And the whole supporting cast, people like Benedict Wong, we love to see him. Benedict Wong's a guy where even when he goes big, he feels very Here's my natural. Only complaint about Benedict Wong in this movie. Okay. The second he showed up on screen. Uh-huh. The second. Which is what? Like half an hour in or Probably. whatever. He's Will's old friend. He shows up on a fucking biplane. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, which is another classic '90s movie Lands in the guy beach. thing. This is this movie is so, so much seaplane action written in, in the 1995. 90s. <laughs> I believe it was written in '97. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second he showed up, I was like, "Fuck." This character's written for me to really like him, and then he's going to die. Yeah, because it's just like there's no actors in the movie, really, right? Yeah. Like the fifth guy small is cast. It, small cast. Like the fifth lead is played by like Douglas Hodge, who's like a British Shakespeare actor, uh-huh. and I'm like. 
Okay, if that's the fifth most important guy, yes. I don't think Winstead's dying. I know Willis is technically playing. Sure. I mean, and Will's Will is technically playing like a one and characters. two on the call sheet, right? But yeah. like, uh, I'm like, you know, Clive Owen, he's the villain, so he's sort of removed from this equation. Yeah. Benny ain't gonna make. Well, it. he's the color. He's the color. He's the colorful character. And, you know, in your third he's act, fun. in all these '90s movies, yeah. your third act twist when it's gonna get real. You know, it's time to get serious yes. after sort of towing the line. That's when the funny guy dies. He feels like the type of character that uh, John Gabris on this show described being his dream role, <laughs> which is the guy who's kind of gone too deep undercover. Yeah, the like guy he's gone who, too into the island life. The guy where it's like, you know, Dennehy plays him or whatever, and it's yeah. like, look, you could just about buy that this guy at one point was like a crack military operative. He had like 20 now, years like, where his life was way too right. intense. Now like wears Hawaiian shirts and lives in the Cayman Islands and drinks like pina coladas. Everything's a joke and, to right, him. Exactly. Right. He's yeah, constant right. party. He's blue from Tailspin. But then they, they can have that moment. Yes. Where he goes like, uh, and he's friend, Benedict Wong to be clear, friends with the toucan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's multiple toucans. Uh, and, and that's the thing with Benedict but Wong. But you can have that moment where he's like, I know. He's you know, a lot of fun. You know, a little he's bit a lot of, of color. He's right. a lot of personality. Benedict Wong, A, never feels like he's reaching for a moment. Big Benny. And B, uh, one-time uh, blank check attendee. Bong, bong, bong. Yes. Uh, yeah, one time, that's true. One time uh, blank check attendee, that's right. Uh, but, but yes, uh, another actor who is naturalistic enough that he fits within this film. There's a scene where Will Smith meets with a Russian operative who is giving a very broad Yakov Smirnoff-esque performance. <laughs> Yeah, that guy. Who's that guy? That guy is in a lot of stuff. Uh, let me look him up here. His uh, name is uh, Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> His name is Ilya Volok. He stops one step short of literally saying, "In my country." <laughs> that seems really weird because he's like, "Hey, Will Smith, you good? Yeah. You shoot at a man. It shoots blood goes everywhere. I've watched a recent uh, thing that happened to you. What Smith's a like, country? How do you know that?" Yeah. And he's like, uh, who knows? And never touched on again. Yeah. What's that scene about? Uh, he had been in the theater with us watching the first hour <laughs> of Gemini Man. And he's like, it's time for me to go in screen now. <laughs> right. And we were like, this guy is not real. It's this like when the Electric person. Mayhem reads the script for the Muppet movie. He's like, pretty great ending. But do you know what that is? Is it's like 120 frames per second. Like yeah. 24 frames per yeah. second. That would be a subtle and nuanced totally. piece of Russian acting. Totally. But with 120, he's like, ah, yes. Da, da, da. And he's like doing a Russian dance and he has a big furry hat on. I'm saying I, it increases yes. the Russianness. I uh, spent the day shooting before immediately rapping and uh, coming to the screening of Gemini Man. Retired bit. And I, the entire time, kept on thinking, oh, wow, I would be so terrible in this format. Like, I, I would have oh, no idea right. how, to, how like, to act in this format. Throttle back or whatever. And I right. try to be pretty subdued. But I was, like, watching it even before this guy came on screen. And then he came on screen. And I was like, the best I could possibly achieve is this guy. Right. Who I'm sure in any other format looks like a totally fun performance. And in this, you're like, you fucking phony piece of shit. Right. Which is the Billy Lynn problem. Right. Right. Where you're right. like, right. I right. can see the lines you have memorized. I can read your brain. You know? And this movie, I think he just held him down and he focused on it and he trained his actors properly and he cast well and all of that sort of works. Now, the weird thing is this is all in service of this movie that is like this unmade screenplay from nearly 30 years ago. Uh, right? Yes. Yes. I guess 20 years ago now. 20, 20 plus. plus. Yeah. yeah. I believe the initial concept was 97. Tony Scott, who is a classic um, Bruckheimer collaborator. Right. Um, and I don't mean to say that 
word <laughs> in a loaded way. No. But when you say Bruckheimer collaborator. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Tony Scott. It's a uh, Bruckheimer sympathizer. Um, with like Harrison Ford, I believe, was the initial pitch for this movie. That was their idea. And it was like, um, what if you had the president from Air Force One correct. in an action sequence with Indiana Jones? Right. They were like, what if you got a guy who's been a star for 30 decades and you have him fighting the early stage of Han his career? Solo or whatever. Exactly. People exactly loved it. Right. Millions of dollars were handed out immediately. The script was bought. It was developed. And Touchstone they, goes to work trying to figure it out on a technological level, and they go, this is fucking impossible. It looks goofy as shit. Yes, they could never get it right. Um, Curtis Hansen was attached at one point. Mm-hmm. Joe Carnahan was attached mm-hmm. at one point. Carnahan. Um, uh, some of the actors they mentioned. It's all actors, like Will Smith, that have had definitive arcs to their careers where there was a younger version of them that we'd all remember. Mel Gibson, Clint Eastwood, yeah. Arnie, Sly Stallone, Sean Connery, right? Like right. all of these are just like so obvious. As Ang Lee put it, he said it needs to be someone who we have watched grow up yes. and have witnessed as a star in three different decades. But the thing that they did with Will Smith that is not true of any of these guys mm-hmm. is they picked a guy who looked younger when he was younger. Yeah. But it's not that big of a thing. Because Will Smith, if it's has Sean aged Connery, like yes. imagine Sean Connery, just not even now, but like Untouchables, you're fighting Sean James Bond, fighting James Bond. Yeah, you, it's not, no, no, no. It's no. at least a very different movie. Yeah. yeah, and even I mean, Clint and Harrison Ford both got weathered. They're men who took yes. their age and grew into sort of seniority. Yeah, you know, Clint and Harrison Ford aren't like. You know, running on a cyber treadmill in zero gravity and eating ostrich eggs or whatever it is Will Smith does, right? He probably, like, sleeps in a cryogenic chamber. So Ang Lee posts Billy Lynn sort of back, you know, on his heels. Sure. uh, Is looking for something to make. The landscape has changed. No one's going to necessarily give him a giant budget to do whatever he wants in the same way. Sure. uh, Because people only want to make retired bit movies. It's one weekend and I love it. Good. And uh, Bruckheimer, who has lost his Disney deal after that being his home for decades and decades, is trying to find his new place, has carried that script with him, makes the big swing. Ang Lee, do you want to do this? And he immediately recognizes the sort of philosophical implications of the premise. And A man facing his own past. Facing his own past, like, you know, reckoning with his own growth of a conscience over, you know, the sure. years of his life. And what he said also is that he and loves wondering about his own obsolescence, of right? Course. You know, and like Ang Lee is this director who is wondering about that himself, but is also making movies yeah. that are very futuristic, you know, right. use all this fancy technology. He said he also loved the meta element of any movie star is always in competition with their history. Right, right, right. You Which know? is a fun element. If you get to legend status, you're not fighting with your contemporaries. You're fighting with your legacy and trying to maintain it or grow up on like, it. It's like, what are the four movies that are going to be at the top of your IMDb page you're remembered for? And you hope that they weren't all in your past, that you might right, still have right. one. It's not all from like 95 to 98 or whatever. Right. But it's too bad that James Avery, the dad from Fresh Prince, is dead. Because I believe he died a few uh, Uncle years ago. Uncle Phil and Shredder, yes. Um, because what if he was like the, you know, the the boss in this? Who, the Clive like, Owen part. Yeah, right? Like it, like literally yes. you had the Fresh yes. Prince guy. And he, he had such gravitas too back yeah, then. Yeah, Clive great. Owen is kind of a weird choice in this movie, but we'll get to that in a second. He is a weird choice. Why we'll, is we'll he get in to it, this? Because I, I, I want to do five minutes on Clive Owen's weirdness in this. Yeah. But can I make this point first? Yeah. Ang Lee said, 
That thing really struck me. I want to work with a big movie star. I like the idea of a movie star giving a performance because he loves fucking with people, right? This Ang Lee thing where he's like so direct and cutting with actors Mm -hmm. and he's like, you're bad at this. I want to get this out of you, right? Right, right. right, That he liked the idea of the experiment of working with an actor. He's so into building up a sense memory, pulling on elements from people's actual past, the way he worked with the kid from Life of Pi, to get the different stages and the different ages and all that sort of stuff, right? That he wanted to work with someone like that. And he said, there are only two people this movie could possibly work with. And it was Will Smith and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise is the other one. I, I look, I quite enjoyed Gemini Man. It has its faults. I think Will Smith's pretty good in it. I think he's The excellent. idea of it with Tom Cruise is just sort of like Kind of next level. Yes. Because he also has remained boyish enough where although – Time has taken its toll, and you can tell he's a distinctly different age. Right. If this movie was Tom Cruise in Fallout mode, and the mask comes off, and it's and fucking it's Top Gun, all the right moves, Tom Cruise, exactly, I would have yeah. given it a standing ovation. I mean, if they could pull that off, and again, who knows? What Ang Lee said in his characteristic honesty was, there were only two people who could pull it off, Tom Cruise and Will Smith, and Tom Cruise was unavailable, so I asked Will Smith. I love most directors usually would be say, like, so I went to Will. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, and I thought Will was better for it. And Angley is like, yeah, Tom wasn't uh, down. So uh, yeah. how about Will? I told Will he would be adequate. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't, didn't he like sit with Will Smith and watch old fresh princes and be like, you have to be bad. Like yes. in this. Right. right. He was like, like a bad performance. No, when you were young, <laughs> you were not good at acting. Watch this. You are displaying too much emotion. <laughs> And there is something kind of striking to the fact that I just love that idea. The performance of Junior is a little more wooden, yes. which also reads as uncertain. The performance of Junior is kind of incredible. Is that crazy to say? No, it largely works. I would say it sort of works. I mean, look, the entire final scene is a wash. Sure. And there are moments. Don't know what's up with that final scene. We'll talk about it. We'll give that another sidebar along with Clive. <laughs> There are moments where something weird's going on. But by yes, and large, there are, there are. it works as a performance and it works as a piece of I technology. I think in like the pivotal scenes, of which there are only a couple. And you missed one of the big ones. You went to the bathroom yeah, during one of the big ones. I won't really say which one. body slam me for this. I'm going to um, body slam you. He's, um, he's, I, I'm, I believe that this is a person, which is a tough sell. Yeah. It's a real tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once again. I know he's, he, I mean, I believe that he's sort of, he's kind of a half person because he's been so stunted in his growth. Yeah. But yeah. But the thing that belies his artificiality more often is the clothing than it is his skin. Yeah. Than it is his face. There are moments where the human face is so fucking complicated in terms of the muscles, the amount, and the amount that any movement of your mouth affects your entire face. Right. And Will Smith is strong enough and comfortable and confident enough as an actor on screen that he is able to sit in that sort of stillness. And in high frame rate, allowing Lee to capture all of his micro expressions. Right. It's much more difficult to animate that level of micro expression. Right. And it's much more difficult to, in unforgiving high frame rate, properly apply every single muscle that is affected by a quiver of your lip. Right. Because right. it also right. changes right. the way your eye is positioned and the tension, tension around your jaw and all that sort of shit. There are moments like that where I just went, something's like 2% off and I can't tell what it is. Mm. There are moments where it is. 100% credible. I will say uh, light, definitely. Darkness, it helps. Most right? of the film is bathed in darkness. Yeah. This film does not have a lot of... It, it seems to live off of uh, natural lighting. Yeah. 
uh, a lot of it is natural lighting exteriors or night scenes where because of the high frame rate, they're able to get away with lower lighting and you're unlike, able to see a lot in the dark. Unlike Maleficent 2 Mistress of Evil, a film I just saw. Which you're, let me just say, off mic predicting is the best picture winner. I'm pre- Yeah, of course. Yeah. Best picture this year is being judged by to what extent uh, a Mistress of Evil is present. In How film. many mistresses that could be qualified as evil are in one film? <laughs> um. That film has a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. action in the dark that is literally impossible to see. Yeah. And, of course, I'm sure it was just, um, you know, cost-saving. Yeah. Right? You know, like, that's all that was. And uh, you can't see it, and it sucks. The dark scenes in this, partly because of the frame rate, you can see them pretty great. There is a scene where they are escaping at uh, dawn. The uh, very sure. beginning of dawn. And yeah. a little bit of light's coming in, but it's largely right. still night, and they're escaping on a pier trying to get to a boat. Right. And I, I thought, wow, I have never seen this time of day captured accurately on camera because it has yeah. literally been impossible to do That's up until this point. That's the worst time. Right, right, yeah. And, it, and when you are around that time, mm-hmm. it's a weird time when people are not usually awake. There is a weird magical feeling. There to is. I'm there up is. this late or I've woken up this yeah, early. Yeah, when you like wake up at 4.30 in the morning to get a cab for the airport or something like that and you're outside and you're like, oh, you know, this is, right. what is this? The, the like, thing Berbiglia describes as they haven't finished writing the Matrix yet. Yeah, right, exactly, right, right. And I was like, wow, this is the only time a movie has been able to capture this quality of light. Right. And it's because of this technology in the same way that you're watching things like glass have a quality on screen that they never have had before. Yeah. Where it doesn't just look like this is a reflection. You can see the actual... Is this at all interesting in 24? I don't know. In 24, I feel like it's just a regular ass. I guess we're going to have to see it two more times in recording. (laughs) One time. One. We already saw it in 120. One time, three screens. Jesus Christ. Um... Yeah, it's too bad it's not going to be on DVD right away. It might as well be. Because, yeah. like, it's not going to be a hit. No, unfortunately right? not. Probably not. No. Now, he said the big thing he wanted to do was Billy Lynn. He had his whole sort of thematic reasoning for why it was this high frame rate. Yeah. It's PTSD. It's, a, it's putting you in the state of someone who's having a, a extended panic attack, right? Yeah. And this movie doesn't have that same sort of thematic connection between the material and the media. Yeah. For him, it was the experiment of... Uh, what, what does action look like? Is action better suited for this form? Mm-hmm. Uh, action has always been more like dance in film. Right, right. Uh, because you're faking motions in a way that will be captured on screen in a way that looks like fighting, but is not. Right. And it's very specific, very choreographed. Uh, it's a reason why uh, 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 someone's saying uh, Chris Evans has an extensive dance background. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons he's so good at Captain America. Because he can learn the moves. Because he thinks about it like dance. Same with Channing Tatum. You know? Yeah, I knew that about Channing. Yeah. There there are a lot of guys like that who have become action stars. Right. Where it's specifically because it's not that they're good at fighting. It's that they understand the stunt guy can come in and go, it's this step, this step, heel turn, heel turn, catch, drop, throw, whatever. Right? fights aren't real? (sighs) We're going to have to talk about this later. Okay. Um, (laughs) But that was the thing he said he wanted to try to solve. Okay. I think when they're in hand-to-hand combat, it looks really fake in this movie. They have sort of some cheats, I feel like, to try and get around it, right? Yes. Uh, I think there are other examples of action that look good. I think when people are fighting fist-to-fist, yeah. it looks fake. They because, usually do it in darkness. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you can kind of tell that the hits aren't connecting. And you can kind of see the choreography and the moves and people anticipating and all that sort of stuff. Right. 
I think things like the vehicle shit works well. Yes. Vehicle shit's pretty great. Stuff that's really striking is like the explosions and gunfire. Yeah. Yeah. And fire itself, when things are on fire and they're burning and you're seeing the speed of fire. Yeah. Which fire always looks crazy slowed down on felt. Um, But yeah, the gunfire is very visceral in this movie. And that's one of the best sort of like tech real showcase moments is when they're hiding out in that abandoned store. And the barrage of bullets come through yeah. and all the bottles explode and it goes into cool. slow motion. That's what is cool. And it's like the sprinkles of the glass and also in it, 3D in yes. slow motion reaching out to you. It going into slow motion in general was just sort of like, I'm like, right, there are higher levels of detail available right. to us in this utter like detail. But there are things where like Junior is like doing parkour and like doing like backflips, climbing up a building and that shit looks great yeah anytime they're in a vehicle it looks fucking crazy yeah. you know there's a part where a plane flies by the lens and you and i just both laughed that was nuts like and they, giddy enjoyment well, I'll say this. and they they pull that trick like three times because they know how fucking they wild do it, it with is. the train too yes. the opening is him yeah. trying to pull off an assassination on a train the parkour uh comment made me yeah. think normally when i watch parkour movies i'm like i could do that but this is like this where, is very much I was like, like what? what how right. can anyone do this yeah <laughs> yeah that's true that's true, because usually when you're watching a movie, you're like, yeah, well, it's a stunt. Right. And this, you're like, I know this is a stunt, but how? That yeah. was fast. Yeah. He jumped up over the, that, that wall. That crazy fast. jump that, you know, parkour people do where it's like a sort of like a 270 degree jump. Like sure. where their whole bu- It's crazy. That's a Gemini man. Okay, so we're not going to talk about the pod Gemini man because it's irrelevant. Let's He's talk about old- it. I want to speed around it. Like, re- I'm going to do it right now. Cool. He's an old assassin. He's 51. First 30 minutes. Are just old assassin. Assassin. Trying to get out of the game. He works for the government. He's the best there ever was. He's Will Smith. He's he, haunted. He does a job that he successfully executes a guy, but... On a very fast-moving train that you see with no motion blur. Which is crazy. And, uh, you know, it's it kind little, of... It's a little close. Too close for comfort. A little close for comfort. So he decides to retire. He's checking and, in with some of his old friends who got out of the game. Right. Who are living it up on yachts, smoking cigars, Ben and Wong in a biplane. Right. All that. Yeah. Then he learns... That the guy he shot maybe wasn't a bad guy at all. Maybe he was a patsy. Hmm. You know, Will's essentially been sort of like taunted into this or whatever, tricked into doing this. There's some great lingo too of like sort of spy. Oh, uh, AMF. Yeah. AMF, remember that? What's that? Adios, motherfucker. What they they call um, killing someone. I still like an aim where they go, I'm going to burn you. Yeah, yeah. Burn. Well, yeah, classic I love all burn the, notice I love talk. all the lingo and like they yeah. sort of even maybe get into the tech a little bit with the private company. But I just and their DIA that is that the organization? DIA, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Defense Intelligence Agency, yeah. right? Isn't that it? Anyway, uh, so uh, as he learns that, uh oh, they keep talking about this Gemini. There's this Project Gemini, and it's run by Clive Owen. Mm-hmm. He's telling the DIA people like, "I'm going to handle this. Mm-hmm. I'm sending a Gemini, mm-hmm. like whatever." Right. And uh, Will Smith's friends start dying. Mm-hmm. His buddy, some spotter, dead. Right. His, his guy, some guy on a boat, dead. Right. Benedict Wong, alive for a while. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who who's been sort of monitoring him. As a mom. Yes. He burns her. Uh, he does burn her. Toast. She's toast. She's toast. Um, she give her she, a notice. She no. gets sucked up into it, but essentially, because Will Smith knows too much, he is chased by a younger version of himself, who was cloned and grown by Clive Owen. Probably doesn't enter until minute 40. Like this sort of enters at like kind of the second big set piece, but yeah. End of act one. Yeah. And um, and now he has to do battle with him yeah. and that's the plot of the movie. Yes. There's no deeper conspiracy. No. 
this conspiracy is very shallow. Yeah. This is not like some Jack Ryan movie where it all turns out, it you know, leads to the secretary of defense and there's like 14 boardroom right. seats. It's very simple. Clive Owen did the bad thing. He tried to cover it up. He built this death squad kind of off books. There That's is a it. classic Ang Lee kind of economy to it where yeah. it feels like what he doesn't want is the standard rote version of this movie that is filled with quippy one-liners and is also filled with boring expository talk. Yeah, right, right, right. So it's, the movie just kind of gets from place to place. It's not a short movie. It's two hours even, right. basically, but it's pretty repito. There is a weird amount of sort of silence and stillness for a movie of this ilk. Yeah. That is not weird for a film within the Ang Lee oeuvre, even if otherwise this movie is not totally of a piece with his other films. Yep. But it feels like he just sort of, much like uh, the way Seamus talked about the Hulk script, mm-hmm. that he just sort of chop, chop, chop all the stuff that feels kind of boilerplate, blockbustery out of it. Right, right. Because um, it is a weirdly kind of dour movie. Yeah. Part- it's not self-serious, but it's pretty dry. It's dry and like it has these scenes like the sort of early Will Smith flirting with Mary Elizabeth Winston scenes where it feels like one, Will Smith is being restrained, right? He is not being allowed to sort of slip into full kind of like the guy we know. And they're not doing full meet cute rat-a-tat screenwriting. Right, right, right. And uh, it's like he's kind of flirty, but they don't want to get into genuine sexy. Right. And they don't want their relationship to really be too romantic it's at a all. Pretty asexual film. It's and well, a pretty it's, aromantic. It's kind film. of about a vol cell, <laughs> like kind of. Yeah. Does he have sex ever? There's a whole thing where he's like, "You're definitely a virgin." To the younger Will Smith. To Will Smith. And he also makes it clear he's never had a long term girlfriend. Right. When so Mary Elizabeth like, Winston asks him if he's ever had a long term relationship, he says, "Do you count?" And he has known her for two days, right. and, and so they have I'm been like, on the run from assassins, is the, is not the, having sex. Is the uh, you know eventual implication supposed to be like maybe he just never had any sex? I think he has probably had sex a couple of times. <laughs> that is my guess. I think this I think is we a should man- interview Angley and Will Smith together and ask them these yeah. questions. How many times? How long? Are we talking between times? Do you know I truly had a, it was either I could go to the screen tomorrow night or do a phone interview with Ang Lee. Wait, really? You didn't yeah. say that? Yeah. Okay. But I was like, I want to see the movie and maybe if I go see the movie, I can find another time. Yeah, right. It, no point talking to him. But I had sort of gotten an offer to maybe interview him, which I thought we could parlay into uh, Talking the Walk 2019, yeah. which of course is now going to be the biggest disaster of the year in podcasting. Um but yes, I wish I could have asked him, uh, has, has Will Smith's he had sex? character ever gotten he had strange? Sex? Right. And I would have worded it that way. Yeah, correctly. That's an appropriate way. Has he ever dipped his wick? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's not so good. Um, you don't think I would respond possibly? I mean, look, he's made some very sexy movies. The Ice Storm. Hulk. <laughs> like, even angry movies that are sexy, like, less caution. It's yeah. like, oh, God, it's so fucking weighty. Yeah. Um, That's the weird thing with this movie is you feel like he took a script that was pretty conventional and aside from an interesting premise, is pretty perfunctory in how the story actually plays out and pared it down and down and down and down to the simplest elements so he could use as a vehicle for the things he wanted to experiment with technologically. It is certainly not as a piece of work on the page at the level of his best films. No. 
I would put this at the lower end of his best of his films, but that's totally. mostly because he's made a lot of good films. He made a lot of good films, um, but I just don't think it's bad. I don't either. Um, I, I think it's kind no. of a gentleman six. I think it's kind of inching to a gentleman seven. I think it's in that. I zone. think it might be. I think as a seven, movie itself, seven. it's a general a, a gentleman six. Sure. And I think with the added boon of the moments where the technology really sings, it, it hits sevens. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. most people are saying it's a two. And some people are walking out after the first 30 minutes despite being critics who are paid to sit and watch the movie. Oh, whatever. I mean, they, if he's, I don't know. I can't speak to whether the person who walked out, sure, I know, that was reviewing it. I don't know. Um, um, but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, Gemini Man. Gemini the Man. Plot of Gemini Man plot involves Gemini. Um, Gemini program. Clive Owen has cloned Will Smith yeah, to the, say, and, and I like that this is not overwrought. But the implication that Will Smith had sort of a hard-ass military father. You, there's just, a, I think, just the one flashback, basically. Which is also one of visually the most impressive moments Very in the film. Very interesting underwater. moment visually. Where right. he's underwater having been attacked. And then, right, you cut to this weird dream. Oh, no, no, it's all just a dream. Right. He's not underwater when this is happening. But the light starts going blue-red, blue-red. And he transforms to the younger version of himself, and, and his father reaches out for him above the water. And then it turns yeah. out, like, that's his alarm flashing. And right. All, right. But, yeah, it's, it's, cool. it's cool. It's also a moment where you go, like, the thing that I th- still think sort of bumps the most with high frame rate is uh, editing. Yeah, there's right. something about the clarity of the image where every time it cuts, it feels like, "Whoa, why did the image out of my window just change?" Right, right. And right, so right. the movie works best when it is in sustained oneers. Yes, when it, it does a lot of them. uses camera moves above cuts, or if it's working close ups, if it's holding on those close ups for a long time. Sometimes the camera moves are so noticeable, though. Like there's Sometimes. this one where he's totally. in in profile, and the camera moves around yeah. to look at his face. And I don't know, you just, right, you just really feel the movement. Yeah, totally. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. The thing. But that's why I'm like, you could do this with a concert film, you know? I Look, I, you I'm You could just pick material that's more like, stage-bound. I mean, they're... Especially a movie like this. What, you wanted to see this so badly and regular? Uh, yeah. Frame, like, let him take his swings. Yeah. I don't know. Let this be like a fucking interesting, like, experiment in cinematic history. Right. And maybe it pays out in dividends for someone else 10 years down the line, or maybe James Cameron makes it work or whatever. Yeah. You I know? Mean, if he does, he, look, he's not an old man, but he's an older man. If he does this for like the rest of his life and kind of gets like sucked up in it, like, you know, I could see where it could be eventually become a bit of a distraction. Right. And look, where he keeps kind of sort of trying to solve this problem. I hope he doesn't because his last two films have had the two weakest screenplays of his entire career. Right. And it feels like it is because he is prioritizing the other stuff. A little bit. A little bit of a bummer. Yeah. I think Billy Lynn is oftentimes an aggressively bad screenplay. I think it's a bad screenplay. I think this This is just fears kind of bland. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, now, Clive Owen is weird in this movie because it's the thing. He's a weird actor. He's a very weird actor. The thing about Clive Owen, mm-hmm. because people pegged him as, you know, the James Bond that never was. Yeah. And so then his rep became just like, well, you know, he's a cool British guy. And maybe because he didn't get James Bond, he'll end up having a weirder, more varied career as a leading man. Right. And in fact, he's ended up being one of those guys who is like box office poison as a lead. Yes. And he has started some great films, and he started some terrible films, but all of them bomb. Yeah. What's his highest grossing film? As a lead, probably King Arthur by default, but it lost 
the entire like earnings of a nation. <laughs> you know? And like Children of Men did 30, which was a big, big failure. Good movie though. A perfect film. I don't know. I that. think it's a perfect film. I know a lot of people agree with you. Uh I think it's a perfect. Could film. you call No, you couldn't call Sin City a lead, even though he's one of like three leads. Yeah, I'd say he's a lead of a third of that movie, and that's the closest, and that's I, kind of the only one that connects. The only film you can really call him the lead of that was a genuine big hit is The Inside Man, and he's the second lead to Denzel, right? Like, I mean, he's certainly above the title, big character. There's no question. Yeah. But not really the lead. He's the second lead, lead to Denzel, and Jody is promoted above Here are him. some of his flops. Yeah. Duplicity, mm -hmm. good movie. Derailed, bad movie. Mm -hmm. Children of Men, good movie. Mm -hmm. Closer, I think a terrible movie, but people like it. Oscar nomination, though. The International, I've never seen. Some people speak up for, speak up for that Last one. Sidney Pollack? No, that's your thing. Oh, that's the Tom Twyker movie, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, the one with the, uh, the Guggenheim, the right. Goog chase. I always get that confused with oh, yeah. the interpreter. The yeah, no, I know. Which is yeah. right, okay. Um, what else have we got right, here? Right, that's him and Naomi Watts. We've got like, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what's it called? Shoot 'em Up? Shoot 'em Up? Uh, Beyond Borders. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into the real, you know, less than $1 million. What's the, grossers. what's the final profit that not the final profit, final gross on King Arthur? Uh, 51. Wow. 51, but 203 worldwide. I think they escaped with their hides on that one. I think that movie it cost a hundred. I think cost more than hundred. Yeah. But no, even though, whatever, like it's not, you know, not, not a hit. Uh, the story I remember hearing about that movie is there was one wall of one set that cost a million dollars. In the castle. I remember it there being was such a million a dollar looking wall. movie. Yeah, it's a really boring looking film. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? But he's in that zone that I feel like you and I tend to love. Mm -hmm. When a guy who was supposed to be a star, was supposed to be the lead, has sort of failed by conventional standards and gets to move into character roles. And very often sometimes they find a second life and find a greater comfort suddenly playing the heavy or the mentor right. or the color or whatever. And this is sort of the second time he's doing it after Valerian. Valerian, he's very similar to this. He is kind of an obvious villain. The company man. Yeah. He's telegraphed the, as the bad like, guy from the beginning. Don't you fucking. I mean, he doesn't but he's not guy. a physical threat. Here's the thing about Clive Owen. Yeah. As we sort of, you know, unfortunately point out that he's had a lot of flops in yeah. recent years. He also made the Nick. Mm -hmm. And he's not, it's not like he's not even the best thing about the Nick, but he's good. Yeah. And the Nick rules. Yeah. And that thing aired for two seasons. It's a really interesting piece of art mm -hmm. that has been a little bit forgotten, but I feel like has its fans. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Chief among them, uh, James Newman and Antonio Dauphin. No, oh, sure. My mother not. and brother. Uh, I think it's their favorite TV show of all time. It's a great show. Yeah. So it's not like he's completely. Blown it? No. But he has made a lot of bad movies. It's a weird career, and you kind of would love to see him kill it in a role like this. You would love to see Clive Owen show mm. up as the villain and be like, this is where he fits into the studio landscape. Sort of have more of, in this, have more of, like, the closer energy. Yeah. That weird, bristling, aggressive energy he has in that movie. Right. Like, and in this, he's a, I don't know, he's like kind of- jerk. Yeah, well, this is a bad guy. Look, but, this guy's no good. I know. He used a person but to I make like a person. Guy. I like bad guys sometimes. This guy's just a jerk. Yeah, this guy's just like, 
Listen, why did you fucking do it? Because, you know, we had to have the army of no parents or whatever. So this is one of the worst justifications for a bad guy. This performance just kind of doesn't register aside from one nice moment at the end. But uh, I I think he's kind of stuck between two takes on the character. Uh One of them is... The idea is that he has raised Junior as his son. Yeah, this isn't just some experiment. He's, right, he's got his maybe army of clones. Junior is a little more like uh, Boba Fett to Jango Fett, like the special clone. Right? You're adopted. Right. I'm your father. Left off at the doorstep. I've raised you. They have photos of the two of them fishing together. They did would spend every birthday together. This is really his dad. Right. And there's a version of this movie where the performance is: here's a really fucked up guy, but you forefront the dad. This guy actually loves his son, this and he is, is justifying, and he's yeah. justifying this morally fucked up thing he did. And you play the warmth of that, and it creates an interesting contrast. Or the other version is you do the weird bristly energy. Yes. Right? And you go total, like, what the fuck is up with this guy? Why does he make me so uncomfortable? And instead, he kind of plays it like the new CEO who's in charge of Coca-Cola yeah, this week. Yeah, right. It's just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nothing. He's got one great moment at the end. When it's sort of the two Will Smiths facing off with him. Yeah, that scene is just kind of interesting. And he tries to transition between the two being an asshole to old Will Smith. Because again. And being right. mentory to his son. Right. And there's one where he just doesn't pause between the two sentences. Moment that's. Oh, you're right. Right. He right. Does, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fun. yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. you're like, that could have been the whole performance maybe. I kind of chuckled at that. Yeah. See, right. when, and we're, I'm going to reveal there's a third clone. Yeah. I kind of, am, I had, at one point I'm like, I hope he cloned himself. The biggest reveal uh, in the movie yes. is that there's this super villain. He looks like right. Night Monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a dude he in all moves. black jumpsuit with a full mask and right. doing crazy backflips. And and he's unmasked, and it turns out, yes, it's another Will Smith. Right. And it's an even like less with and Will Smith with no morals or feelings. He's or like whatever. season four. He can't feel pain. Prince. Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. Um the season where Will went to the dark side. Uh exactly. Yes. Which Fine. Because that, right, I'm sorry, that's the whole Clive Owen thing is, what if we could take someone with all of your skills and attributes and remove all of the pain? Yeah. Your father, and, and no, the darkness. And no parents to worry about their sons, you know, and daughters going off to war. Like, he has this whole argument of, like, but also you had he's a, essentially drone. he's making drones. Right? You had yeah. a shitty dad. Right. And part of Clive Owen's argument is, I've been a great father to this boy. I've yeah. raised him well. Right. That's what he tries to argue. Yes. I gave him a better life than you had. Right. Um... So that's all fine, uh-huh. but I really wanted, as you said, I thought it might be a young Clive that's Owen, what I thought which would be kind of spooky and weird. Yeah. I really wanted it to be a young Benedict Wong, was denied. Well, you want as much oh, Wong as you can get. Exactly. Damn, that would have been good too, David. But, you know, there's- I a- mean, look, let me just say it. Two Wongs would make a right. Young Pope, that. young Wong. <sighs> oh. He just took your joke, threw it out the window, and it caught on fire with his joke. Let me say this. <laughs> Imagine if HBO is like, we're proud to announce a sequel to The Young Pope. The Young Wong. It's The Young Wong. We got Benedict like, Wong with $200 million worth of de-aging technology. <laughs> he looks like he looked in sunshine. And you're like, okay. It wasn't. Okay. Happily <laughs> lie. Oh, boy. Um, there's something creepy, though, and I... 
What I thought going in yeah. was that this movie was going to be, the young Will Smith was just going to be a killing machine and totally. you'd have to stop him. A sociopath. So the thing that really took me by surprise in this movie, apart from the fact that it looks bananas. Most of the movie is him reaching out to this. Is him reading this kid, kid. Trying to make a connection. Obviously you have that initial moment, kind of like in Looper or a lot of these movies yeah. where like he sees him and he can't pull the trigger, right? Like he's so designed, but he sees yes. this boy who looks right. like him. Yeah. Can't pull the trigger. Fine. But then instead of then getting over it and having to fight this evil kid, yeah. he just reaches out to him as a human, bridges I mean, that's the only a, thing. a massive divide. The movie becomes Will and Smith, they work older Will Smith, trying to build bridges to reach the kid emotionally because he understands how wounded and scared he is. And he is understands scene. like what killing will do to a man, totally. you know, as it's done to him over all the years. What's that thing he says at the end with Clive Owen? Uh, I mean, he doesn't say you you don't want those nightmares. You don't want you don't want that haunt. You don't want those ghosts. That's what he says. Young Will Smith is about to shoot Clive Owen in the face out of retaliation. Yeah. And he says, "Don't do this. Trust me. You're going to lose a part of yourself. You can't get back. You don't want those ghosts." And then he shoots Clive Owen himself. Right, and that's the point, which right. is I'm not saying this guy should stay alive. Right. It's I'm just, just saying you don't want to do be this. the guy who pulled the trigger on your own father. Right. I understand how these things reverberate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's that's where the Ang Lee stuff comes in. Now, when you reveal that there's a third Will Smith, it does make me kind of miss the potential of a finale in which they are fighting against an army of Will Smiths. <laughs> that's the other thing. Is like once I got past the like, is this going to be young? Because there's this Clive one wild Owen. set piece where you see like a fake military operation yes. that where these training the Gemini right. soldiers. So right, I mean, you could have been there setting up. You could an have an army of But then also, it, then then you've just made Attack of the Clones because then you could just have a scene where Will Smith visits the fucking Camino yes. people and they're like, and here are the baby Will Smiths eating their breakfast, and here is teenage Will Smith. You know, like right. Here's another thing you could do. Fuck and burly brawl. Matrix so you're just reloaded. saying like take every sort of big attempted at action movie made to sort of clear this like impossible gap. I think you make that the final big set piece of the movie is right. like when they're like the tank and here's a gunner and he's wearing a mask. Who is this? You have a whole squad of people around him. Right. And after the first guy is unmasked, then everyone else unmasked. And it's like, here's 50 Will Smiths. What? It's you copy paste it. You've done all the work. <laughs> You built the thing. But then you need to, like, nuke them or something. <laughs> like, I mean, how do you stop an army of Wilson? Here's what I want. Well, you get a bunch of bees. <laughs> I want. That's, I forgot about the bees. <laughs> I want. Oh, oh yeah. A big plot point in the movie is they know they're the same person because they're both allergic to bees. Because they're not just. Look, this is a stupid 90s action movie. I don't care about it. It's fine. Yeah. But I feel like if you are deathly allergic to bees, you don't get to work for, like, no. black ops. It's just kryptonite. Yeah, you can't have that easy a kryptonite. The yeah. world is full of bees. A kryptonite <laughs> that exists in the air at all times. Right. Um, what else do we have to say about Gemini Man? Anything? Hmm. I mean, so we talked to Clive Owen. Well, the final scene. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this movie, I, I like the action sequences. Mm -hmm. I really love Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a screen presence in general and yeah. we're always rooting for her and uh, doesn't have a ton to do in this movie, but she's a solid kind of reliable player. And it is one of those things where if someone gives a successful performance and high frame rate, it kind of shows you how it can be done. grounded and honest their acting is. Good call. Good you know call. what I'm saying? Right. I do. Because the phoniness rises right up to the top. Right. And she's someone who has played big and has played small and played in multiple genres. Right. You know, but but she's got the real fucking goods. Right. 
it, it, yeah, she's great. Uh, doesn't have a ton to do. Very sure. solid in this film. Right. <clears throat> nice that she is not sexualized. I agree. I mean, there's the one scene where she has to undress the strip search scene. Sure. Um, but I feel like they play it's that. It's not salacious. No, they don't play it salaciously. And also, and also that's just like a fun set set piece. Sure. Where when, when the junior is doing that, she's like, okay. You know, like she's acting like she's being put upon. And then later, of course, turns out he was totally right to try and find a bug on her. It was in her tooth. Cool spy move by her. Yeah. That was fun. I like that. That's my favorite part. That whole uh, catacombs fight yeah. where they're all kind of doing spy tricks to each other. The grenade, the tripwire, the, the thing in the water, right? All that. Yeah. Well, and there's also that great payoff where, like, Will Smith is like, you don't get it. You're me. They cloned you. Yeah. Your whole life is a lie. Right. Why else do you think they sent me? They sent you to kill me. And Junior's like, because I'm the best. And Will Smith's holding a gun to his head. And he says, clearly not. Clearly you are not the best. Which is just such a successful. It's a good Will Smith line. Will Smith line. Yes. Um, But but here's a key distinction. This movie is not using de-aging. De-aging technology as we know it is photographing the actor on camera. Yeah. Taking the footage. Okay. And digitally augmenting it. Okay. You know, it's like doing Photoshop. Well, what are they doing here? What they are doing is they built a completely realistic looking digital 20-year-old Will Smith Mm -hmm. that is being puppeteered in the same way that Andy Serkis puppeteers Smeagol. (laughs) Okay. And there is a big difference because one is Will Smith on set. Sure. With shoe polish in his yeah, hair. Yeah, with, with the dots on his face and all that. Right. right. It's what Sam Jackson did. It's what all the Marvel movies do. It's what the Irishmen do. And then someone goes in and digitally erases the wrinkles and tightens up. Right. And that's sometimes why it looks a little wonky because you're like, oh, their posture's still yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's still the person that, right. that, that age. This is like Planet of the Apes or Lord of the Rings or any of those things where they're just building essentially a digital character and having it puppeteered by someone's motion capture acting. Right. And it is uh, – very successful, by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's especially successful because you know what Will Smith looked like at that age. Sure. And the performance comes across. Right. Um, there are moments where it bumps, like we talked about. I wonder if some of those are smoothed over in high frame, in lower frame rate, or if it works better in high frame rate. I don't know. We'll talk about it and talk in the walk twine. Okay. <laughs> but. But there's this final scene. That After is. After all the action is settled. Uh-huh. And this scene is a calamity. <laughs> It's the last scene of the movie. Is a so it's especially calamitous. Yes. If this scene was somewhere else in the movie, it would be bad. Yeah. As the last scene of the movie, it's kind of inexplicable. I leaned over to you and said, did they shoot this two weeks ago? Because right. it feels like a desperate last second like swing to try to put a super happy ending on the movie. And also the technology looks super unfinished. It's also just bizarre. Yes. Because it's like... It's bizarre. He suddenly looks like a render from... He doesn't look good. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. You have this scene where the guy's like, you know, the the the, the handler's like, yeah. I'm sorry that all happened. I looked into it, yeah. and there's no more clones. And Will Smith's like, sounds good. I'll see you later. Yeah. Like, which is, you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the, people were killed. Benedict right. Wong, he it, got blown up. It's already a kind of tone-deaf scene, but it takes place in a bar. <laughs> and you're like, okay, whatever. Let him leave the bar. Right, right, right. And then we cut to a... Uh, university campus right where they have been earlier in the film okay uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston has taken them there to do a DNA test right to prove that in fact 
because she believed, oh, maybe he had a son that he didn't know about. Right. And this is where she makes a startling discovery. He's not like you. He is you. And so we cut forward six months later or so, and Junior is now enrolled at this university. Yeah, like Gemini University. <laughs> and they're just like sitting on the lawn making small talk, and yeah. Junior comes uh, strolling onto the quad, bast in sunlight, carrying sure. books, big man on campus, making jokes, and everything about it is fucking weird. It's so weird. He looks terrible. Yes. It is completely unconvincing. The dialogue is wooden as fuck. It's very much like, like Mary Elizabeth Winston is like, you should do the humanities. And Will Smith's like, no, no, you should do engineering or whatever. It becomes like father knows best. Yeah, it's so weird. And it's not just that uh, it is weird that the film has a happy ending because there are happy endings in this film that could have been somewhat sold. Right. It's that the ending has everyone suddenly acting out of super out of character in that they are weirdly happy. Right. Like everyone is upbeat, not just in a better place in their life. Right. And uh, yeah, it's super, super fucking unconcerning and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. It is weird how weird it looks yeah, and how weird they did that. Weirdly off it is tonally. Yeah. Uh, I think it was shot late. I think it, it must have been. It has to have been. There's no question. Everything about it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's okay though. Um, I feel like we're going to have more to say about this. I feel like JD is writing some sort of like uh, manifesto right now. Yes. Uh, I kind of want to see it again. Yeah. I like Angley. We got to see it standard frame, right? I and mean, we have to know. We got to, David, we got to know. <laughs> but we should see it at like the Cobble Hill Cinema, like the worst <laughs> theater in Brooklyn. But I think we should take, I think you should take Alanis Morissette's advice here. You're saying I ought to know. You ought to know. Should we play the box office game? Yes. And Ben, under this, please play Lance Morissette's You Ought to Know. This is the first time <laughs> that a box office game yeah, has I'll been I'll definitely scored. do that, and that's not a copyright infringement. <laughs> uh, so the box office hasn't happened yet. We're recording this a couple days I before the movie comes out. I have a feeling it's the only big release of the Not m- true. Oh, what's the other one? Adam's Family, the most anticipated movie, The Fall. And it's- there's one other release? Jexy! That's a good name for a movie because I'm immediately like gross. That sounds like a bad uh, sounding word. Well, it's a great pitch. Uh, what if her but horny? That's it. Yep. Jexy. Remember the movie Her that won best screenplay? Yeah. What if instead uh, the uh, phone acts crazy because, you know, girlfriends are crazy. Jexy! All right, you're right. So Adam's family will get, what, 20 million or whatever? I think it's going to have a soft 20. It, feel, it feels like no one knows that movie is happening. No. Who is it? It's a United Artists. MGM, right? who yeah. doesn't have an animation division. Right, right. Here's the history of this movie. Chris Melandari, or whatever his name is, who runs Illumination, okay. gets the rights for Adam's family. Sure. And is like, I got it. We're going to do Adam's family. We're going to court Tim Burton and go, you get to make another 3D stop motion film. Oh. A thing he should not be doing, no. right? But the deal almost happens. Mm -hmm. And it is broken on variety, and immediately all parties deny it, and the movie never comes to fruition. And Deadline has spent years saying, we swear to God that scoop scoop was right, and the movie just fell apart. But then they were trying to make it without Burton in CGI, and then they sort of gave up interest. And then MGM, who I think had a stake in the Adam's Family TV show and the original movies, Co-produced with Paramount, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Said, oh, we got an idea. Uh, Remember uh, Sausage Party, that 
animated movie that was somehow made for like no money. Yeah. Uh, let's hire those guys and have them do it in the same cheapo way. Ugh. Even though we don't have an it animation looks department. really cruddy. So you know how uh, Sausage Party was made for so little money? I would assume that it's some sort of massive labor violation. Correct. Yes. Thank you. <sighs> so I don't want to know the stories about how Adam's Family was made and it looks really bad and they've already made two Adam's Family movies and they're masterpieces. Would you say that this situation seems a little ooky to you? Uh, yeah. Seriously ooky? Yeah. Okay. Altogether spooky? Yeah. Right. I think Gemini Man will... You know, I think it can inch to like 25. So you think it's going to open at number one? No. My friend. Oh, right. Uh, retired bit is going to be, I assume, Okay. you uh, know, somewhere in the sort of 45 range, yep. right? And yeah. Ben, can you please bleep out the first time he said the name of the movie? Sorry for making more work for you. Uh, I forgot that we retired. The bit about the very successful film that is certainly going to stay at number one. You could say we not only retired the bit, we canceled him. So I'm going to say it's going to be retired bit number one. Mm-hmm. Gemini Man sneaking number two right over Adam's Family number three with Abominable at number four and Downton Abbey at number five. Okay, here's my prediction. I think retired bit. <laughs> it's probably going to have a pretty good hold because I keep on hearing from people who are like, I guess I got to see this thing to be part of the conversation. There's yeah. such a morbid curiosity. Well, so – a pretty good hold would be more what, like in the high, the 50s. I think it's going to be mid 50s. Okay. It's pretty good. It's been doing really good, uh, strong uh, weekday business. Yeah. It has. And, oh boy. It made like 10 million on Monday. Ben and I saw morning screening, literally the earliest screening we could see. And people were there. And it was like 60% full mm. at 10 30 a.m. It's crazy. Uh, crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to do like 52 or something. Then I think Adam's family is going to probably do like 20 or 21. Uh, and then I, I think Gemini Man is unfortunately going to do like 17 or 18. It's possible. It, do, it could be a thing where like the balloon, the air just gets out of the balloon. I, I think you're going to see a bit of an Ad Astra. No, Ad Astra overperformed its tracking. Gemini Man is tracking at 30. But I'm talking about the number. Ad Astra was projected to perform at like 14 or 15 yeah. and then did like 18 or 19. Yeah. And I think that's what Gemini Man's going to do, which will be below its tracking. I'm just talking about the number, the pure number itself. No, I think the tracking, I think it'll be higher than that because the frame rate, it just adds money. Okay. Well, agree, right? disagree. You know, like, that's the tension that. of this episode is that I'm making a different projection. What What incredible tension. <laughs> Retired bit at 52. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam's family at a soft 21. Right. Yep. Gemini Man. <laughs> Just imagine, who won Best Actor? Oh, Olivia Coleman, And the Oscar goes to Joaquin Phoenix for Retired Bits. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Abominable is going to take a big hit from Adam's Family this weekend. Uh-huh. So I think Downton's going to jump up to number four. That's my other big prediction. I'm going out with limb. I'm trying to create some tension. I don't know. We like this movie and no one else likes it. And everyone's going to say we're in the There's bag. There's people. Matt Singer liked it. Yes. Angie Han liked it. Yes. There are people out there. There are dozens of us to, right. to use the You already joke. mentioned Stefanski and uh, uh, Patches. Right. Right. Uh, a, a legion of uh, brilliant people. Uh-huh. 100%. Yeah. Um. But look, I, I got to say, you know, we had so many listeners who uh, enjoyed taking the walk last year. Yeah. Right. And talking that walk and uh, would message us. Mm-hmm. And this is why we want to try to do a screen this year and say, I, I feel so frustrated that I didn't see that movie when I had the chance. Right. I didn't know. I didn't get it. Right. Right. Um, is there any way that movie ever comes back? It's ever viewable. In that um, 
in, in, in that framework. Yeah. We try to make it happen. Yeah. I promise you this. If other people take the high frame rate ball and roll with it and Cameron converts enough screens, we will not stop trying to find a way to screen Billy Lynn in 120 in New York City. Right? We're going to keep that torch aflame for as long as we can. Um, but if you're curious about that and you're into some real nerdy shit, which most people on this podcast are, mm-hmm. you owe it to yourself to go see this in the best format you can. Yeah. Whether or not you like it, it it's kind of important. You know? I agree with that. Um, what else are you going to do? Like, go be a person and have fun? Yeah. yeah. No one who listens to this show knows how to do that. <laughs> so, crack open a can of liquid death and stroll your way down uh-huh. to the cinema and pay, I don't know, $47. <laughs> God, that's the other problem. I don't know what the pricing difference is. I think it's like a 3D movie, but I'm not okay. sure. Um, and, and go see Gemini Man. Uh... My big takeaway from this, what I said walking out of the theater is, I feel like he solved 60% of the technology yep. problems, and I was not expecting him to make this big of a leap. Which is both an achievement, but also kind of an argument against, like, hey, just make damn. a regular movie, right. because, like, if you're going to just keep making movies to figure out how to make one of these Why movies at a certain so point, what the fuck are we all doing here? You're great at making normal films. Yeah. What's frustrating is, it feels like he's probably one movie away from making the thing sing. And That's your argument. And I, my argument is, maybe. They're right. maybe not going to let him do this ever again. That's another argument. My fear is that he will have now spent two movies in a row working with technology and go, great, so I'm going to make another angry drama. And they'll go, sorry, uh, that's not an option anymore. Do you want to direct Solomon Grundy? <laughs> and maybe he will. Maybe he will. Or, maybe- and it can be released on a Thursday. I don't know. As long as they start production on a Monday. David's holding up his arms. Well, am I going to top a shrug? that? Shrug? I don't know. I got to go see Hades Town. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's what I got to go do. Any final thoughts, Ben? I can't wait to see Hades Town. Not uh, from you, from <laughs> Ben. The voice of the people. That's yeah. true. I'd say I second your uh, substances. Would they help hurt with this one? Whoa, yeah. you saw pretty oh, dry. Although you I were was, chain smoking outside the theater, that's true. I was very dry <laughs> though. Um, yeah, it might enhance if you like take uh, mushrooms. It would be kind of an interesting experience. I a couple times tapped David and pointed over to you, and you were sitting with your mouth agape. <laughs> oh, and it was yeah. genuine. It was like when we yeah. saw Taruk the first time. I mean, flight. it's just classic Ben. There were visual moments where you were just kind of like, "Whoa, this is fucking nuts." Yeah. No, I was like, I was locking in and kind of having that, like, this is trippy. Whether or not you like it, it's trippy and you owe yourself the experience. And I say that especially as a nerd who doesn't like drugs (laughs) and needs movies to provide my trips. (sighs) This is a a cinematic trip. Cool. We're done. But be careful with mushrooms. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Andrew Fergudo for social media. Yes. Thanks to Lee Montgomery for our theme song. Should I bump Pat Rounds for artwork? Thanks, Pat. Uh, head over to the Patreon. Uh, we just released our uh, Whisper the Heart episode. Uh, we just released uh, Ant-Man and the or we're Yeah, we are about Ant-Man to release Ant-Man and the Wasp tomorrow. Or Cuspin. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. That's a fun one. That's a good one. Sure. Big and small. And, and what more is there to say? It's us just saying that for two hours Big on Big Nice. Big and small. Please give us your $5. And... Next week, we get back to uh, Miyazaki. We're rounding it out. Next week's Ponyo. Yeah, with Shirley. One of your all-time best movie friends. Hell yeah. Uh, Shirley Lee. Yes. The triumphant return. Yep. On to talk Ponyo. 
All right, we're done. Come on. Thank you. And as always, I'm still here. Oh, God. Richard uh, T. Bay, what, you're not happy to see me? It's a good event for you. 